On Politically Incorrect, the show that once followed this one, he made this infamous comment less than a week after 9-11. We have been the cowards lobbing cruise missiles from 2,000 miles away. That's cowardly. That, that is a Staying cowardly. in the airplane yes. when it hits the building. That is Say what cowardly. you want about it, not yeah. cowardly. Um, new rule, if Islam is the religion of peace, um, maybe they shouldn't do all those fatwas. Um, new rule, if Christianity is to be Christ-like, maybe they shouldn't support the Iraq war. Um, new rule, uh, <laughs> new rule, if you're believing in a religion that has a virgin birth and a snake that talks, um, maybe you should check that out. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wow, does Bill Maher host this podcast? Well, no, that was actually me doing a very clever impression of Yeah, there's Bill actually Maher. only two of us in the room. Uh, but welcome to uh, Mike and us. Welcome back to Mike and Yeah, us. it's been so long. Uh, I'm Will Sloan. Luke Savage, as always. It's great to be back. It's a new year. Uh, yeah. Uh, I want to say a new leaf, but I think uh, that would probably be disingenuous. Why have we been away for so long? What, well, what have you been up to? I mean, do we have good reason? It was Christmas. We, we, were, like, we were both sick at some point. Yeah, we were both sick and, you know, I don't know. And we had better things to do. And we had good do. movies to watch yeah. and, like, um, those are all the reasons. Well, uh, let's see. We went to see, uh, I mean, I think, you know, there was a, a tale of two movies. We went to see Star Wars Rogue One, the cinematic event of our lifetimes. Mm. And uh, I think we must be the only two people in the world that hated it well, and didn't think it was a real movie. You know, we actually got to Star Wars Rogue One about a month into its run, which Late. is really interesting because we saw The Force Awakens on opening night because yeah. I thought, oh, this is more a cultural phenomenon than it is a movie. Maybe we should like view it in like the frenzied opening night circumstances but i have to say i really preferred it more seeing rogue one a month into its run where you could just watch it with like a bored audience and rigorous objectivity yeah we watched it it was late at night it was like a 9 30 screening and we're going up the you know desolate escalators in an empty scotiabank theater and there were probably what 10 other people in the theater if that even yeah. Um, so we were able to do, uh, you know, catty little monologues throughout the film, uh, toward, to each other about how bad the film was. I think it was great to watch though, because you, you watch a movie like, uh, Star Wars Rogue One and it's all, it has this great diverse cast and they're all like helping each other out and they're all, it's all teamwork and it's like, and they're defeating an empire and i watch this it's like yes this is what we'll have to be like if we're to bring down donald trump in the trump era rebellions are built on hope we we yeah. must never forget that um, yeah what did you think of star wars by the way oh god uh well i mean the full title is i believe uh star wars rogue one a star wars story <laughs> let's so let's be clear about that by the way we're gonna get to bill maher's religious but oh I think yeah that's the i also yeah <laughs> i think we didn't just open with a random bill maher impression there was actually a, a reason for that but uh i think we we need a few moments respite because we literally just finished the film and boy was it it was tough oh, god we'll, we'll get to that I, fuck but okay so star wars rogue one i mean i think basically the most expensive piece of fan fiction i've ever seen obviously a lot of people liked it i got a lot of pushback on facebook and twitter when i said that i didn't think it was good but i just think you know it's possible to do better blockbusters like blockbusters that have some originality that you know even if they're working within the confines of an existing universe that aren't just totally dogmatically loyal to these mm -hmm. existing signifiers
fires. Like the whole movie just felt like a series of nonstop kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge moments for fans. Like, look at this character that you know, but or here's a planet that's sort of like one that you're familiar mm-hmm. with. The, you know, the studios are obviously so risk averse these days, and they put up you know millions and millions of dollars for these movies. And I just don't think they're any good. I have no desire to see that movie ever again. I think it's terrible. I don't think it's a real movie even. That's what, that's, that's what I think. Sure. I mean, I think you're, you're going into the new Star Wars movies from the wrong angle. I think these movies should not be judged as movies. They should be judged as pieces of architecture or like theme park rides. There's no art here. The thing is, I don't I, disagree with you. Yeah. That's what you said after the film. I yeah. just... I just am, more agitated about that reality than you are obviously well i'm i'm agitated but i think it's horrible i'm just i'm just kind of like more resigned yeah. to it than you are but uh, like don't you think it would have been possible for them to do a prequel to star wars a new hope with all the money that's available you know and then just have it be like a real movie in, with like you know what in a better world yes yeah. but i mean that that's not what these are rogue one has two Star Wars Rogue One a Star Wars story. Yeah, excuse me. Rogue One has like two big Chinese stars as, you know, two of the leads. And the only reason they're there is so that it can play in China. Right. And you know, when you're making artistic decisions like this, it's frankly no longer something that is worth talking about. Like, no, I, like and, I, and I, I, I agree. But... I'm actually going to take a step further. Mm-hmm. Like I've all, for my adult life, like everyone, I liked Star Wars as a kid. Yeah, same. For my adult life, I have uh, some ambivalence, uh, may- maybe even an aversion to Star Wars. Yeah. I think the place that it holds in culture is fundamentally reactionary. I think the first Star Wars is an enjoyable, charming movie. Yeah. Empire Strikes Back is entertaining. Yeah. But when you watch those movies, aside from the hairstyles and the special effects, they could have been made today. They're divorced from any context that they're made in. They are pure escapism. It's simple stories of good and evil. And like I watch them and there's almost like nothing to grasp onto. If you watch any of the, say, the Planet of the Apes movies or the Batman movies or hell, I, even the Marvel movies, like there's some conversation with the times that they're made in. There's something to think about in relation to the world that spawned them, whereas the Star Wars ones are just a retreat, I think. I agree, although I kind of think that's what makes the original Star Wars films interesting. They are a purely postmodern phenomenon because they're a pastiche, but as you say, a pastiche without any ideological content. Star Wars, the universe is one without ideology. It's the most just archetypal struggle between good and evil, a kind of not substantiated you know what you know what is the rebellion's like agenda yeah why does the empire want to rule who even cares it doesn't matter um you know who are the people that like work for the empire presumably they have some kind of like popular base or something we never see that you know but then at the same time like the films consist of all these reference points taken from kurosawa and taken from westerns Mm -hmm. and you know i think that's interesting they they are post-modernity you know exemplified just meaning kind of pulled from a random assemblage of parts that as you say has no you know deeper sinews in kind of culture but to me like the first time you do that with the original trilogy it's interesting and now you have now we're like post postmodern. and well, you have, yeah now it's like a snake eating its tail yeah exactly you have these films which only consist of like their own reference points it's a pastiche of a pastiche that. yeah and i also don't like that the star wars franchise is now like the marvel franchise it's a franchise where, first where of all where it's no one movie is a standalone movie yeah like everything is always you know building up to something else yeah and, you know, this this new one, Rogue One, is totally incoherent if you haven't seen A New Hope. No. Mm. But, of course, like, um, I think that the film is a perfect metaphor for where 
uh, Star Wars has ended up. So spoilers, I guess, skip this part if you if you actually care. But, um, you know, this is a film that has a CGI'd Peter Cushing and a CGI'd Carrie Fisher that are actually like, I mean, the Peter Cushing character especially is like an actual character in the movie. Yeah. He's, he's like more than a prop. He's and, in like five or six scenes. Yeah, and he looks ridiculous. Uh-huh. He looks like a character plucked from a video game and put in the in the movie. You have that. And then you have the fact that, um, you know, when they're designing a prequel for A New Hope, there's an obvious kind of conceptual problem, which is that none of the characters that they invented for this movie appear in A New Hope. So how do they do that? How do they, how do they reconcile it as a prequel? Well, they do so by just building up these characters for two hours and then just killing them all in like a single scene at the end. They all die. They're all just wiped from existence. And bizarrely, you know, there's no kind of memorializations to them in episodes four, five, or six, which uh, is kind of interesting. Anyway, I thought that the uh, it was great Terrible. to see the bloops and bleeps and the uh, sounds and the spaceships from my childhood. Yeah. It reminded me of being in my childhood. <laughs> like, honestly, like, I, I know that Star Wars is a nostalgia brand, but, like, when all you see anymore is Star Wars, mm-hmm. when Star Wars is just, like, inundating our lives yeah. every day, like... Where is the nostalgic delight in seeing any of this stuff? Well, and you made a really good point after we saw the film, which was that, like, okay, so we're in an age now that I think, you know, Star Wars aside, you know, there's lots of other things this applies to. You know, we're in a cultural moment that's uniquely cashing in on nostalgia, Uh right? You have, you know, TV shows like Stranger Things. You have a whole series of blockbusters that are remakes of, you know, 70s or 80s or even 90s movies now. And, like, at what point does this expire? Like, how long can you sustain nostalgia? Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's an interesting point. Like, is there a way that the next moment in mass culture can, you know, figure out a way... Like, can it figure out how to be even more vapid and removed from, like, anything? That's what I'm wondering. Man, I don't know. I know that the next generation of kids will probably, like, grow up loving, you know, Poe Dameron and the <laughs> Ky- Kylo Ren and the gang, like, the way that we loved Han Solo. Like, I, I actually think they will. Like, in, they're the ones they've grown in, up in with. In 2035, like, our, our kids are going to go see, uh, like, uh, Rogue 2, a Rogue 1 story or whatever. <laughs> I, and I mean, honestly, like, you know, uh, these characters in, in Force Awakens are no better or worse than Mark Hamill is, so... <laughs> <laughs> Although maybe you would dispute hot, hot yeah. take. Um, well, anyway, if anyone's listening to this 500 years in the future and wants to know the historical moment we're in, we're in the very last days of the Obama presidency. <laughs> the very final dying embers. He just uh-huh. gave his farewell speech. Trump is going to take over. Mm-hmm. But we decided to take a look back to the dying days of another presidency, <laughs> George W. Bush, mm-hmm. and the release of a 2008 film called Religulous, also known as Religulous. Mm-hmm. A film directed by Larry Charles, who did Borat, and I guess hosted by Bill Maher, liberal firebrand Bill Bill Maher. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It has been 40 years since my last confession. We're making a documentary about religion. Oh, boy. (laughs) Why doesn't he just obliterate the devil and therefore get rid of evil in the world? He will. He will? What's he waiting for? I believe that God wants everybody to be free. That's what I believe. And that's one part of my foreign policy. You're a senator. It worries me that people are running my country who believe in a talking snake. You don't have to pass an IQ test to be in the Senate, though. (laughs) So you would agree that even if a billion people believe something, it can still be ridiculous? Absolutely. How we define what is crazy or not crazy about religions is is ultimately up to how we define crazy. You start disputing my God, 
and, and you've got a problem. Does that make me crazy? Isn't that something called a mochoco domazada? Does that make me crazy? I'm going to go in the rapture, and I'm going to come back on a white horse. I'm the second coming of Christ. Yes. Not just because you have you share the name Jesus. No. Yay. Muslim activist, that is a very rare job description. You guys have big ones. If Santa Claus can hit every house in the world no, on one I don't night, believe in Santa Claus. Of course not. That's right. one man flying all around the world and dropping presents out of chimney. Right. One man hearing everybody murmur to him at the same time. That I get. I'm in the Vatican. That's the Mormon temple behind me. You think that no, means no, some... No, no, no. No, 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 no. Oh, no. No. Yeah. I'm wrong about everything. Religious. God knows what could have been accomplished in this world. Uh -oh. <laughs> We're not expecting that. Is that God? That's the voice of God. <laughs> you know, I think it's safe to say, so each each of us in our own way has kind of a little personal history with this film. You reviewed it for the Varsity. Yeah, and I met Bill Maher and at you the met time. Him. Yeah. 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 Um, and I didn't like him. No. Um, and I think it's safe to say we both watched this film in, I, I don't think either of us really liked it, but we both in 2008 were probably more on board with the kind of, um, the current of sort of like liberalish atheism that was very fashionable at the time and still is. Yeah. You know, I was uh, 18 or 19, you know, I just read God is not great right. as, as, one, as does one does at that age. Yeah. I, when I reviewed this movie for the school newspaper, I gave it a scandalous three out of five stars. Mm -hmm. Basically reasoning that for all its obnoxiousness, it makes good points. Right. Um, I no longer yeah. believe that. I think the points it makes are ones that were relatively new to me at the time. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, this movie came out at the peak of like the new atheist movement. That's right. Yeah. Um, time it, has not been kind to it. This is a film that I really think could only have been produced by the Bush era. I think that the kind of popular new atheism that, like, as you said, peaked around 2007, 2008. It was really a product of, you know, the post 9-11 period, the immediate post 9-11 years and the Bush presidency. I wasn't uh, raised Catholic like you were. So I had a easier, I was more, even more easily kind of seduced by your like Richard Dawkins, Bill, mm -hmm. Bill Maher kind of thing. You know, I was really into that stuff. I read all the, you know, I read like the three big books. I mercifully wasn't aware of Sam Harris at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, of course, in 2014, I wrote what I is, dare I say it, one of the most popular articles uh, taking these people down, which... Uh, what, what's it I'm called? It's called New Atheism, Old Empire. I'm sure everybody... You can, yeah, is, is, you can find it on Jacobin. Yeah, Jacobin, uh, New Atheism, Old Empire. But I mean, uh, and actually, it's too bad because the original photo they published with that, it had Bill Maher in it. Um, and they, for some reason, they took that down. Now it just has Christopher Hitchens. The thing but is, like, Bill Maher's honestly not even worth he's not being even there. there. Well, and actually, it's funny because there was a line in the original draft that um, I was listing kind of like how new atheism got popularized. And I was listing, like, God is not great, whatever. And then I was like, I, there was like an extra dig at Bill Maher when I said like, <laughs> Um, something like Bill Maher, for what it's worth, has made his own like trivial contribution <laughs> by way of an an especially facile film called Religious. And the Jackman editors probably wisely took that out. Um, it was in. I wrote the article kind of in the wake of, if you remember, um, you know, the the day America lost its innocence when Ben Affleck and and uh, oh, what, you know melted down on the on the show and uh, mm -hmm. had an argument with. Uh, was he, he was arguing with Bill Maher, or was it, I don't even remember Yeah, now. Bill Maher was arguing that 
Islam is bad right. and violent, and mm. Ben Affleck was trying. Oh, with with Sam Harris. Yeah, also, and Ben yeah. Affleck was trying to make the case that you can't paint a religion yeah. of one and a half billion people. Yeah, yeah. you know, and arguing rather ineptly, mm. I yeah. have to say. Yeah, you know, this streak of kind of this streak of new atheism, which you know is kind of an imprecise term, but you know it when you see it. You know, which this film really typifies this kind of smug and like liberalish, um, you know, kind of atheism that sees itself as making these really important interventions in current affairs. Um, it would not have been possible outside of the context of the Bush presidency, because the thing that really sustains it, I think what's appealing about it when you're, you know, in your adolescence is when we're teenagers, you know, we have an earnest desire to kind of dissent and rebel. And something like this kind of channels that into a kind of like faux rebellion mm -hmm. that feels really satisfying, but isn't really doing anything. And during the Bush presidency, I mean, I remember thinking that to me, religion was synonymous with like conservatism. It was synonymous with, you know, the Bush presidency. I remember, you know, coming out of like Fahrenheit 9-11, um, you know, friend of the show, Fahrenheit 9-11. Yeah, yeah. And saying, and saying uh, you know, to, you know, well, of course, uh, you know, George Bush thinks that God told him to invade Iraq and things like that. But then at the same time, you know, it was the perfect kind of Archimedean point because you could criticize Bush, but then you, all, you were also criticizing like bin Laden and you were, mm -hmm. you know, so it was the perfect type of sort of faux descent. I think it's safe to say this film and the kind of broader movement really consists of a series of like epiphanies that are always spoken as if like Bill Maher talks in this film as if he's the first person to say these things oh as if God, every yeah. precocious nine-year-old hasn't with like a, you know, dissenting streak hasn't, you know, said to their like laconic dad, like, uh, you know, daddy, like if God exists, why are there bad things in the world or something? Now, let me get this straight. Yeah. If God is all powerful and he can do everything, why doesn't he just kill the devil? Yeah. Like I all, I expected him at some point to say, uh, could God create a taco so big even he couldn't eat it? <laughs> I think, you know, the other the other thing, the other reason why a movie like this appeals to like mm -hmm. late teenagers is because it essentially comes down to some very simple principles. That's right. Like you know Hitchens famous phrase religion poisons everything mm. it's a one size fits all solution right. to all the world's problems right. you know the Israel Palestine conflict yeah it's religion you yeah. know uh, the Iraq war it's religion well yeah. and you know Hitchens took that so far that he even had to like invent history so it's mm. really funny and God is not great when he refers to um you know like uh, what are called the troubles in Ireland as if it was like a religious conflict and I mean certainly mm. like uh, a schism in Christianity like played a role in it but like even though he actually was there covering it at the time like he refers to like the IRA as like a religious gang mm -hmm. and stuff you know uh, Richard Seymour who wrote that wonderful takedown of uh, of of Hitchens unhitched you know he's from Northern Ireland and he points out that everybody understood that these were two sides that existed to win a war mm -hmm. like like Hitchens is just making up you know people would have been very surprised to sort of hear these referred to as like religious gangs like mm -hmm. it's just completely ridiculous so yeah like it's a one size fits all solution that collapses as soon as you introduce like nuance or history it sees a uh, you know conflict and strife and violence as products of like people's bad ideas and not as like not as the product of politics you know, mm -hmm. it thinks that religion produces things as opposed to religion being like a labor of interpretation through which people kind of like derive meanings that are specific to their circumstances. Mm -hmm. Like religion is embedded in culture. 
And there's two kinds of people that insist that you can only interpret like the Bible literally. You know, it's like people like Bill Maher and like the worst kind of religious fundamentalists. Like frequently mm-hmm. in this movie, you know, he's talking to people who and he's and he's like he's reading off like all these violent beliefs that they're supposed to have. And yeah. then they're like, well, I don't believe that. And, and, then, and he's kind of mansplaining it to yeah, them. Yeah. Being and then he's like, like well, um, you should. I, th- I think most people who pick up scripture <laughs> yeah. take it literally. Yeah. Uh, and you can say whatever you want. <laughs> you think that no, means... No, so? no, no, no. No, 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 I'm wrong about everything. The way I perceive things in the Quran is not about killing uh, infidels or, but you have read it or in homosexuals. There. Of course I read the Quran. And you've read those passages. Yeah, I've read those passages. And what passages. did you think when you no, read them? No, but I explained those passages within the time in, in which they uh, emerged. But that's not how people read holy books. People no. don't read holy books and go, but, well, that was good for them. People read no, holy books think, and go, this is I the word agree. of God. It's forever. No, I don't that's agree. That's how most people no, do no, it. No, I don't agree. I just don't buy it that these guys are in this state of denial. I think they're just in a state of denial to an outsider. They will not admit anything is wrong with their culture to an outsider. I actually want to say a few words about Bill Maher, just his his place in the culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I was in first year university, I went through a brief spell of um, his show, Real Time with Bill Maher, at, at that time, at least, it used to be released on a podcast. Right. So I used to... I, I about that. Yeah, I, I used to listen to it yeah. as a podcast. And of course, I was just, you know, coming into my own as a mm. thinker and <laughs> wanted to wanted to learn about how bad George W. Bush was. Yeah. So, of course, I listened to it. Yeah. I think uh, Bill Maher, you know, we see in this movie some clips of his early stand-up, which is some of the worst stand-up comedy I've ever seen in my life. There was a bit that he, he does in the movie about... Uh, what what is the process that that creates circumcision? I mean, can you imagine being the first guy to say, "Now wait a minute, let me get this straight." <laughs> you know, the yeah. lowest hanging fruit Ugh. and the laziest possible take on it. Yeah, you know, teenagers and early twenty somethings are attracted to a comedian like this. This particular school of angry white man with well, all the answers. I loved comedy. loved Bill Hicks. I, when yeah, I was, yeah, inevitably we were going to yeah. get to Bill Hicks. Yeah. I think that there's a certain kind of comedian who uh, gets praised for being like a, a prophet and a truth teller. I, I've heard Norm Macdonald and others uh, pose a, a real, real way. comedian, Norm Macdonald. Norm, yeah. I heard Norm Macdonald say the last funny person. You know, I believe that uh, the <laughs> the chief job of a comedian is to be funny. <laughs> Like, sometimes I see a guy like Bill Maher, yeah. and I think, okay, you couldn't hack it as a public intellectual, right. so yeah. you, you coat everything. I also feel this way about somebody like Andy Borowitz, yeah, or exactly. anyone who writes those comedy news articles, where it's yeah. like, oh, you weren't good enough to write an actual op-ed, yeah. so... That's right. I, so yeah, well, it's... it's and we, we were talking about this off-mic before. It's like, so much of what people think of as comedy now is just, like, people making good points. Yeah. It's people uttering truisms... You know, for an audit liturgically for an audience that already agrees with them. I mean, what is even the difference? But like, you have someone like Keith Olbermann, um, mm-hmm. who isn't even you know who doesn't you know contend he, to be a he comedian. fancies himself funny sometimes. I guess he thinks he's funny, mm-hmm. but like, what is even the difference between like what is even the line between someone like him and Bill Maher, except you know, like a slightly different delivery style? I saw a comedy article on a purported comedy site recently that specializes in fake news. That's not the Onion, and that's Canadian. The, the headline was uh, something along the lines of President Obama refrains from tweeting because he's a goddamn adult or right. something like that. Oh wow, which is not funny. No, uh, it's the most. It's the easy 
laziest possible take on that topic. But I actually mm. want to read a quote by Norm MacDonald about Bill Maher in The Hollywood Reporter. Somebody asked him, what about Bill Maher? He's both political and an outspoken atheist. Oh, and God. Norm MacDonald says, yeah, yeah, I find him completely unfunny. Like, maybe the unfunniest person I've ever encountered that's <laughs> called a comedian. I like his show because of the arguing back and forth, and he knows a lot about politics. But the worst is when he forces you to sit on the panel while he does new rules, which are just a bunch of jokes. You have to sit there a foot from the dude with a camera in your face. You think he would just excuse them, but no, you have to sit there and watch. And then later on, uh, Norm MacDonald says, one time Bill Maher was on Meet the Press and it was hilarious. George Will like tore into him because once you get in with the big boys who actually do it for a living, it doesn't matter what you know. George Will had huge contempt for him and was slapping him around and suddenly Bill Maher wasn't confident at all anymore. So, uh, you know, I could certainly criticize oil companies and I could criticize American General for not attacking this problem in the 70s. I mean, Brazil got off oil in the last 30 years. We certainly could have. Um, but it is going to be killed in this oil spill. And stuff. But I'd like to go back to Bill. Can you just explain to me in what sense Brazil got off oil? Uh, I believe they did. I believe they, in the 70s, they had a program to use sugarcane ethanol. And I believe that is what fuels their country. I think they still burn a lot of oil and have a lot of it offshore. Yeah, I mean, that's, and that's right. I mean, I, I'm not a fan of George Will, obviously, but like, that's that's exactly right like somebody who's like a professional public intellectual and kind of has more than talking points mm -hmm. you know like at least has some kind of ideological outlook or whatever i feel like that is why bill maher's kind of smarmy demeanor is useful because he mm -hmm. can mask like his lack of nuance his lack of sophistication in this kind of you know court jester you mm -hmm. know presence which is pretty much what he's doing throughout this movie like so much of it is just him like condescending to you know people that are totally defenseless you know yeah but let's get into a little bit of the movie structure or lack, lack thereof of it, yeah because this is among the most scattershot documentaries mm -hmm. i've ever seen but it opens with bill maher you know sitting in the backseat of a car this is kind of what structures the movie these yeah. backseat interviews of just him like riffing it's it's him it's him um it, it's <laughs> him and, and a disembodied interlocutor <laughs> whose voice has the exact same like smarmy cadence as his does and towards the beginning of the movie we see him say you know there are so many people who seem like rational people who go to church and believe in a talking snake <laughs> and a virgin birth and i i've got to understand why they i've got to understand which is so disingenuous and then he spends the rest of the movie just like slapping people around Around. And then the music, the, the sort of like intro music of the film is uh, The Seeker by The Who, yeah. which I think is a really disingenuous use of the song because it's like, they call me The Seeker, I've been searching low and high, I won't get to get what I'm after till the day I die. Like Bill Maher is not like earnestly seeking, tr you know, um, yeah. uh, just like, um, well, not friend of the show, I mean, um, you know, inspiration for the show, god of the show, Michael Moore, it's performance art, right? Mm -hmm. He's not going to... You know, he's not like a documentarian who's going to like find stuff out and, you know, who and who then off, offers commentary like, like, you know, I mean, obvious example, like Werner Herzog, like goes to find stuff out and then mm -hmm. he might offer commentary after on the conversation. Mm -hmm. Bill Maher keeps, you know, he goes into like, like a chapel that's like attached to a truck stop. Yeah, and then, just a bunch of like lower middle just, class just, truckers. Yeah, just just lay Christians who you know, are, you know, searching for a little bit of meaning between driving between sort of Nashville and like Tallahassee or whatever. <laughs> and he just like smugly says stuff like, you know, well, 
What, you really think that, uh, you know, Jesus could have been born, you know, immaculate conception? I mean... You know, there's no uh, yeah. there's no actual proof for the yeah. historical Jesus. Yeah, so. I mean, and then, you know, one guy storms out, which I actually, I was on the, I was on the, uh, you know, probably reactionary trucker's side in that scene. Yeah. And, uh, and like... Well, because I, I think Bill Maher went there under false pretenses. Yeah, exactly. He's there like, oh, he, I want to engage with the faith. But yeah, really, and then he just condescends to them for yeah. like 20 minutes. Yeah. And, and, you know, just with the lamest stuff, like, yeah. you realize these Gospels are written decades after the events supposedly took place. Yeah. Wow. I don't feel like you... And then, of course, he has the nerve to end the scene as he's leaving the truck stop being like, thank you guys for being Christ-like and not just Christian. Oh, my God. And, and um, it, it's scene after scene of him, like, picking the weakest, easiest targets. Every now and then he stumbles upon somebody who's actually interesting. And, of course, we see them for, you know, 30 seconds. We found we found the scenes, we found the interviews, I think it's safe to say, so excruciating. I mean, I, I'll speak for myself, but I was actually in physical pain oh, for yeah. parts of this movie. Oh, I mean, yeah. my stomach I was twisted. I couldn't look at the screen a, at times. In a knot. I mean, I, I think that... um. You know, there's all kinds of things I can watch without being troubled, like extreme violence and lots of things that are upsetting. But a certain kind of like condescending smarm that's just that just being bombarded with that. You know, I had it in my head. This was like an 80 minute movie. And it, I mean, it's I think it's like 95 minutes, but that last 15 <laughs> minutes just dragged on. Yeah. And I felt it was so uh, tortuous watching it because, like, as you said, there's no structure. It's just, I mean, the only structure is that, you know, the first kind of third is like nominally about Christianity and then it's about Scientology and then it's about Judaism and then it's about Islam but like it's the same mm -hmm. talking point but he also, over and over again. You know, diverges a lot of the time to just talk to like random cult members yeah. and when he picks like the worst representatives often of whatever faith he's caricaturing. Shortly right? after that truck stop scene, we see him at, you know, a Christian memorabilia store mm -hmm. which is run by a very devout guy and you know, he's just, he's just talking about very earnest guy. Who a guy who seems quite nice, so I think. Him. Yeah, a guy who's like, well, you know, I'm not afraid of death because I know I'll be with God, yeah. and you know, when the end times come, I'll be happy because I know we'll be the guys like, well, let me get this straight. Are you telling me that if there's a nuclear bomb coming to America, you'd be happy with that? Yeah. Or uh, nowhere in the Bible does it say <laughs> Jonah was swallowed by a whale. He's, he was swallowed by a big fish. But but. But he killed your son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just, just, just fucking awful. Yeah. Uh, the rest, or remember the scene where he's. I mean, so what's funny is that these scenes were so excruciating that Will and I ended up finding like solace when it would cut to just him in the car because at least he wasn't <laughs> subjecting anyone. But it's like it was like you know, take me, Lord. Yeah, like, I'll, I can, I I'll can take, take a bullet. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, you know, there's another scene where he's talking to a guy who runs a gay conversion therapy clinic, right. a guy who, you know, uh, used to be gay and mm -hmm. now is married to somebody who allegedly used to be a lesbian. Yeah. And I can't believe I'm in the position of like sympathizing with the guy who runs a gay conversion no. clinic, but for God's sake. Well, and Bill Maher's hackneyed jokes are brutal. So at the end, the guy gives him a hug, yeah. which is more than he deserves, to be honest. Yeah. Even in a gay conversion, like, I mean, this guy is like... <laughs> he's, his, he's, a mess, his, he's a disciple of evil, his, for sure. His, his views are utterly repellent, but he, yeah. he's like much more polite to Bill Maher than he deserves. And then he goes and gives Bill Maher a hug, and then Bill Maher's like, uh, oh, did you get a heart on just then? Like, it's, it's just disgusting. Awful. Like, and of course, because the movie accurately realizes that Bill Maher's quips alone aren't aren't enough, it keeps at every 
opportunity like cutting away to like a jokey moments like like a family guy style cutaway where it'll be like he's at the creationist museum and then it cuts to the flintstones or at one point they talk about how jesus might have been sort of like nerdy looking and it cuts to um jonah hill and super bad just like or like there's a moment where he's talking to a real hard line uh muslim preacher mm-hmm. and the guy takes out his phone and is texting something and you see on the screen uh this guy's text is death to bill maher smiley face i mean if only because uh, yeah because <laughs> you know bill maher is such a scamp you know yeah. he's a real rascal we see him at the vatican where he is apparently thrown out for like filming where he's not supposed to and then we see him in front of the vatican he's like well they didn't photoshop this behind me i'm actually at the vatican of course (laughs) they threw me out of the vatican so now i'm gonna say what i really think it's like shut the fuck up the vatican is not afraid of you bill maher (laughs) i was just laughing because that made me think of the scene in bowling for columbine where michael moore holds up like the photo of the little girl It's exactly like oh, that. Awful. Mr. Heston. <laughs> this is the girl. Yeah. <laughs> I actually want to talk about a few of the like interesting people that he talks to. Okay. Because when he's yeah. at the Vatican, he talks to this, uh, like l- let's say, eccentric priest. Yeah. Who, who's pretty interesting. Who's pretty interesting. He has kind of a like James Carville quality to yeah. him. And he kind of laughs at everything Bill Maher says. Where Bill Maher's like, you know, you realize you're going to burn in the embers of hell for saying this. And the priest's like, ah, embers of hell. That's that's the old Catholic Church. That, uh, well, well, you know, what about uh, what about science? Can you reconcile? Ah, no, you can't reconcile the Bible with science. Yeah. It's, all, it's, all, it's, all, it's all ridiculous. <laughs> when you look at a building like that, a giant palace, does it seem at odds with the message of the founder? Well, certainly. <laughs> well, thank I mean, that's you. obvious. <laughs> it really is obvious, isn't it? I mean, but... but does it bother you? Well, I mean, it can't, I mean, well, yes, it does. Yeah, but I mean, there's nothing... I wouldn't, if I were the boss, I wouldn't be living there. <laughs> no, I mean, no, Jesus no, would I mean, be probably some, out in some barracks here uh, in a suburb of, of Rome, got it? And, you ever get so fed up you want to take the collar off and go? No, I don't wear a collar That's anyway. it, Captain. <laughs> take my badge and my collar. No, no, I read about ten books recently, The, the Rationality of Religion, oh. and everyone's saying it's stupid. Ba-ba-bee-ba-booba. You know what's going to happen to them. <laughs> No, you're gonna be gonna roasting happen? in hell. Come on, roasting. That's the old Catholic thing. That's what they taught me. Yeah, I know. Had hell business. Well, come on. The, the, yeah. the standard doctrine that I was taught. Yeah, as a kid. that's all gone. That's all finished. <laughs> but that's not fair. Yeah. The uh, date of Jesus's birth really well, that, wasn't established until 349 A.D. Oh yeah, yeah. That's just yeah because or he might have been born on July 3rd. <laughs> These are all nice stories, you know. And that doesn't bother you either? Well, that bothers me too. I mean, whenever it's, oh, we have to have midnight mass because Jesus was born on midnight on 25th. Of, yeah. This is all nonsense. You're a maverick, aren't you? I'm not a maverick, your you know. father maverick. You do things your own way. You know, this is interesting. I mean, this guy represents, you know, kind of a liberal strain of the church. Right. We also see Bill Maher talking to the Catholic Church's, like, I don't know, astronomical advisor or mm-hmm. something. We only see him briefly, but he says that, of course, you can't reconcile the Bible with modern medicine. Right. Uh, I would have liked to have heard more about this. Yeah. I would like to know how these people actually reconcile this with their faith. Mm. I remember when I met Bill Maher, it was at this roundtable interview during TIFF. Bill Maher and Larry Charles said, well, it's interesting when you talk to some of these people and they basically say it's all bullshit. Mm. And I said, well, it's not really all bullshit. I mean... That's not really what they're saying. Yeah. And I said, you know, there, there are times when the movie is you make a lot of really good points but then there are other times when you're talking to the guy who plays jesus at the theme park right 
and it's a bit like shooting fish in a barrel. Mm -hmm. And Bill Maher said, you know, I often hear people say that you can be sensibly religious mm -hmm. or uh, smart with your religion, and I don't believe it. I think if you believe in this stuff, you're a rube. Well, you know, it's great. what's great about Bill Maher is that he's living proof that you can have thoroughly secular and a-religious beliefs and be a total idiot with violent reactionary politics, which he has. So. I can also tell you, having uh, met the gentleman, that he is about, like, five foot one, and he has this awful, like, hair that looks like just solid rock, you know, a solid rock gray mullet. <laughs> you know, well, you know, we have a lot of fun here, but I don't want your body shaped. Oh, yeah, mullet. right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah oh, I mean, don't, don't you also like in the movie whenever Bill Maher, like, makes reference to his, like, libertinage? Like, right. when he's kind of like, uh, when, when like, at the truck stop chapel, a really oh, yeah. despicable moment when the guy says, you know, Christianity lifted me out of... Out of addiction. Like, I, 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 had, I had drugs, I had women, and then yeah. it cuts to Bill Maher in, in, the car. in the car, where he's like, this guy told me he had a lot of drugs and a lot of women, and it's like, what's the problem? Oh, my God. It's like, fuck you. Yeah, he's... It, it's, it's awful. I, I hope I... Well, I mean, I guess I never have to see this movie again, which... But it's funny because yeah. he actually thinks he's punching up, you know, to, to, to use a tired phrase. Yeah, like, and actually, and like speaking of that, I mean, that's another point I wanted to make. Um, I mean, another reason why this film really could only have been made during the Bush era is because a big part of it, especially, I mean, there's a reason why more of the film is really dedicated to Christianity than any other, because it allows a Bill Maher who is, you know, a typical like blue state metropolitan allows him to descend on the rubish South mm -hmm. that, you know, gave us George Bush and to like, you know, talk to like poor people and talk down to them and, you know, maintain the moral high ground. Right. Somehow. So it was just, you know, it was part of this moment that, you know, just like, the, the, you know, I think that it's safe to say there's a moment now where a certain kind of like a certain strand of liberalism it talks about, you know, poor white people in a way that they would consider extremely problematic if it was directed at any other group in this kind of blanket way. Um, you know, there was, I don't know if you saw it, but a few, uh, like last weekend, there was that woman who's like, she's in tech or something. She's some verified account that I hadn't heard of, but she posted that rant about, you know, that was kind of, uh, you know, an open letter to, you know, rubes in the Rust Belt. And it was like, it wasn't called that, <laughs> yeah, but that was yeah, kind of the general yeah. thrust of it. And she was saying, you know, people don't want to invest in communities that are full of bigots and that have bad infrastructure. Uh, she was like, you know, these towns, they're so crummy. They just have like, they're full of racists and they just have like a few bars and like maybe mm. a movie theater and get some fiber optic cable, maybe elect a progressive city council and build some like, you know, build some infrastructure. And then, then we'll talk about like investing yeah. in, you know, that kind of, bourgeois like smugness which clothes itself in this language of like well you know we're being socially conscientious that mm. that's the trick bill maher is playing here and and what he's doing is a very early incarnation of the this trick it's like let's invent a socially acceptable way mm. to make blanket statements about poor people and how they need like moral regeneration and mm. how to extend the metaphor even further or just to extend the uh, uh, example rather even further like hillary didn't lose the rust belt because of decades of bad trade deals and deindustrialization democrats not serving these communities whatever she lost it because people are stupid and people in uh new york and california uh and you know places like orange county and 
suburbs of Philadelphia filled with the Republican voters who came out in droves to support Hillary as per her own strategy. You know, they're smart and these people are dumb. And that's all there is to politics. That's the schism mm -hmm. in politics. That is the, you know, Unite Blue, uh, Andy Borowitz, uh, Bill Maher ontology of politics. And I think, you know, new atheism, I'm sure, you know, it's been around for a long time, but I think new atheism and Bill Maher especially was like a really early and like, unfortunately, very culturally potent example mm -hmm. of it. Yeah, there's real genre of think piece these days that's like, do you remember the one that was in the Daily Costs where it was, uh, don't feel bad yeah. for coal miners losing their health care. Yeah. This is what they voted for. Right. Uh, Paul Krugman, Nobel Prize winning yeah. economist Paul Krugman, who's uh, now reduced to uh, tweeting like, David Brock invented hashtags and Russia conspiracy theories also tweeted something about how like you shouldn't feel bad for these people. This is what they voted for just saying or something. Mm -hmm. That's the uh, compassionate liberalism of uh, Paul Krugman right there. Um, yeah, like I think that, you know, this kind of particular anti-religious streak that this film has, you know, really could not have existed outside of like a context where so many people, you know, including us, I think it's safe to say, really saw like religion as kind of a singularity that was like mm. uniquely oppressive and that was synonymous with like the dumb people that voted for george bush mm -hmm. and this film is really tapping into that and now pe people have in sort of invented other ways to make the same argument there will there are innumerable ways of course that you can um you know condescend to uh poor people <laughs> the, the the uh the bourgeoisie is very inventive in this respect but like this was this was an early and potent example of it and you know you still find it everywhere i mean when I wrote that article um, for Jacobin, like all the responses to it, quoting Sam Harris, quoting Bill Maher sometimes, whatever, they were always like tweeted at me as if I'd never thought of this before, <laughs> as if they were the first person saying it, even though they knew it was secondhand because they were quoting somebody. It's a way of thinking that, you know, like the most reductive religious practices really just consists of like a series of reductive kind of talking points that are cited as, you know, or regurgitated ad nauseum as if they're like these revelations. And the kind of epistemic closure that's involved in this, people just refusing to, you know, engage with it. Or even when you, you take like a Sam Harris quote and you say like, look at how violent this <laughs> thing, he's literally saying that preemptive nuclear war against Muslim countries is like something that we need to consider or whatever. Mm. And people are like, no, that's not what he's saying. Just, just a little bit ironic, I think, given their critique of uh, dogma. I couldn't say that last part with a, with a straight <laughs> face. But. but of course, he doesn't only go after easy targets. Uh, there is a section of the film on Scientology. Yeah, the most robust of, re of religious architectures. <laughs> yeah, when he goes to, uh, oh God, was it Hyde Speaker's Corner yeah, in Hyde yeah. Park, London. And starts like talking about the Thetans and everything. Yeah. You know, uh, we've all seen the South Park episode. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I was remembering that uh, there's that episode, which is, I think, basically where the like popular understanding of the dumb backstory to Scientology comes from. And of course, there was also the South Park episode called All About Mormons mm -hmm. that had the like Mormon creation myth. And again, you know, every 15 year old became an expert <laughs> yeah. on like the Church of Latter-day Saints yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, everyone was always like, oh, did you know that Brigham Young actually like... Oh, no, it was Joseph Smith, yeah, wasn't Joseph it? Smith, oh, sorry, yeah. it's been a while since I've yeah. seen the South Park episode. Uh, Shame on you. <laughs> he, he, he had these golden plates that he didn't even show anyone. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, in the South Park episode, of course, we learned that, uh, 
you know, he lost the gold plates and then and then he had to like have the guy write them again and he was like, it'll be the same basic story, but with like slight differences or whatever, because he was trying to do it for memory. Yeah. Burn owned. Uh, there are a few characters in this movie who I kind of liked, though. Like, uh, I mean, aside from that guy at the Vatican, there was the guy who claimed that he was the second coming of Jesus. Uh, oh, he was hilarious. This this Puerto Rican guy who actually fundamentally misinterpreted the, the gospel. He didn't realize that the second coming is uh, the reincarnation of Christ <laughs> or the reappearance of Christ. He thought it was like he's part of the bloodline of Christ. So he's a descendant of Christ. He's amazing. And Bill Maher actually takes a different approach interviewing him. He basically interviews him just deadpan. Well, it's like this guy is such a charlatan that it's like, it's yeah. just amazing. So, you know, Bill Maher will say something like, I always find it strange how when God picks a prophet, he takes them aside, he picks somebody like St. Paul or you, and then the guy says, yes, I am the prophet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just totally amazing. straight-faced. Jesus of Nazareth had a wife, so after they kill him, his seed kept going, maybe through France, Spain, and then from Spain came to Puerto Rico. The bloodline come from Abraham, Abraham to David, David sure. to Jesus, Nazareth, Jesus, right. Nazareth, me. Okay, I thought a second coming was the reincarnation of the Christ himself, not a descendant of. No. No. He's a descendant. Descendant. No. Oh. But yeah, I mean, even even a fun moment like that just speaks to what's wrong with this movie, which is that he picks some interesting interview subjects, some just total fringe people. Like he talks to this guy Geert Wilders. He talks to, he talks to, to Gert Wilders, who leads uh, the extremely far right neo fascist party, the Party for Freedom, and he gets this guy to back him up on what he's saying about Islam. Yeah, which is just unbelievable. Like what Gert Wilders, like Gert Wilders, wants to like ban minarets mm. and like mosques, and he wants to ban immigration, mm. like Muslim immigration and stuff. Uh, not unlike uh, some of the stuff Donald Trump said over the past couple years, but. Um, you know, of course, it's really funny because Bill Maher now wants to like save George Bush, and there was that oh, yeah. recent that recent With the media cried wolf last time. Yeah, you, you remember that? Yeah, well, yeah. He, it's like him talking to David Frum, yet another like Bush era Republican who's you know been successfully rehabilitated because he's not like. Like, and now, like, even, you know, even Fox News, like, Megyn Kelly is, like, woke now. Yeah. Like, Megyn Kelly, who did a whole segment about the evil of having a black Santa or, or whatever. You know, like... the most famous example, <laughs> Samantha Bee palling around with Glenn Beck because yeah. it's all of us against yeah. Trumpism. I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh, um, but, you know, he talks to, like, this one guy who it's his business to sell these really elaborate machines to Orthodox Jewish people so that they can technically do things during the during the Sabbath with that like it's like, a way of gaming the theology. Yeah. So there's like a phone where all the buttons are already pressed down. So when you press like you press the button with a little rod, which is technically like relieving the button, so you're not actually pressing a pressing button. it. Yeah. Um which is, you know, it's it's funny on its own just yeah. as a like, can you believe this exists? Yeah. But it is in no way in the mainstream of Judaism. No, like I can't. I can't believe that like more than ten no. people have no. bought this. No, this this guy it's is just like, all, but it's all just indiscriminately thrown in this movie as if it's all this the same guy. Thing. This guy is just like the kind of vulgar entrepreneur that you find everywhere. You find mm -hmm. people doing that in like in in mm -hmm. like secular culture too. Like mm -hmm. you know. And, you know, there's the famous scene where uh, he talks to the guy at the theme park Ugh. playing Jesus. That I mean, was very what, hard to watch. What, what is their, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't even want to talk about it. It's so <laughs> stupid. But, you know, the, the movie ends with Bill Maher at the site in Israel where supposedly the rapture is going to take place. Right. Am I right? Uh, yeah. 
and he d- does this final monologue to the camera. It's one moment of kind of full-on earnestness. It's, it's you know Charlie Chaplin at the he's end a, of the Great he's a, Dictator. He's a prophet. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's John Stewart at the end of the Rally to Restore Sanity. It's you <laughs> yeah, know, more that. Yeah. There comes a point when mere laughs are not enough to express the point, and we have to put on our serious faces. Yeah. It's like, well, seriously, folks, we've had a lot of fun tonight. And but... th- this this speech was <laughs> it's like the, it's like the moment in uh, in Jerry Springer at the end when he's oh, like, yeah. when he's like, what have we learned today? Like, <laughs> but this speech is like just one of the most awful things I've ever heard in my life. Just just the sheer smugness with which he says it, where he says. Believe it or not, people, people with religious beliefs are the ones who have their hands on the nuclear buttons. So, um, if you want to continue living in this world, maybe you should grow up. Well, he doesn't say that, but that's basically what he's... He oh, basically says But that, what, yeah. what he does say is, at one point he says, um, and those of you who think that you just know there's a god and you just feel it, um... No, you don't. Yeah. Because, because I, I don't, don't know. Yeah. And, and you don't have any power that I don't. Yeah, any intelligence that I don't have. And then yeah. he finally ends it with, grow up or die. Yeah. The only appropriate attitude for man to have about the big questions is not the arrogant certitude that is the hallmark of religion, but doubt. Doubt is humble, and that's what man needs to be, considering that human history is just a litany of getting shit dead wrong. This is why rational people, anti-religionists, must end their timidity and come out of the closet and assert themselves. And those who consider themselves only moderately religious really need to look in the mirror and realize that the solace and comfort that religion brings you actually comes at a terrible price. And actually, there's a really funny moment at the beginning of the film, which I think has a contains a kind of cardinal fallacy of new atheism which because you know he's obsessed with like the bomb you see as he's doing his monologue you just keep saying the bomb over and over again and you see the bomb at the beginning of the film like he's showing he's like we invented like the means to kill and then you see like a nuclear bomb going off like before we became rational he's creating this like um this binary between like religion and rationality which is like one of the favorite like dumb kicks of this kind of thinking as if the fucking atom bomb isn't the supreme product of rationality. Mm-hmm. As if what the Enlightenment has bequeathed to us isn't just, you know, indoor plumbing and, you know, <laughs> whatever. It's also the bomb and, like, chemical warfare. And I don't know if Bill Maher himself was involved in this, but Neil deGrasse Tyson and Richard Dawkins and all the rest of the crew had this really funny thing that, I mean, it's, like, worthy of a Monty Python sketch or something where they all have, the, like, you can see them with these selfies where they're holding a sign and it says... I am a citizen of hashtag rationalia. The idea is like we're creating like a new nation that's just of rational people, like hyper rational people. So Sam Chris had a series of tweets that just like were so funny at mocking this where, you know, it'd be like uh, rationalian peasant. I'm starving and the water is poisoned. Like rationalian president applying science. You know, correct. You are starving and the water (laughs) is poisoned. It's like. Putting aside the issue of the extent to which there's a nexus connecting like religion and ethics or morality or whatever, rationality is like a passive neutral and it's like a very cold thing. Mm-hmm. Like these people who want to have, who, who are like, let's just be purely rational. To me, that's really sinister. Mm-hmm. That's like a really sinister suggestion. Like let's replace politics with technology. Let's replace, you know, it's just like, let's just have machines solve every problem. Let's have, you know, let's, instead of having politics and democracy organize our society, we don't need any of that. We just have these very abstract, like rational principles that we can govern ourselves with. That's not only a stupid idea, it's just an incoherent Mm -hmm. idea. 
And this film, I guess, you know, doesn't even communicate, it, it communicates a dumb idea badly, but, <laughs> but like the fact that Bill Maher, he's like, we invented the means to kill before invented rationality. And then he image that he shows with that is like the bomb going off as if that, that isn't like the, the Zenith of like mm-hmm. enlightenment rationality. That just shows that he's the dumb one. That's what I'm saying. Well, that would be a great note to end on, <laughs> except that I have one more point I want to raise about the yeah. movie, which is maybe the worst joke I've ever heard in my life. There's a scene where Bill Maher <laughs> is at the site of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, oh, I forgot about this one. The original Twin Cities, where he recites the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he ends the scene with him saying, Now my question is, why would I want to find morality in the King James Bible? I'd be more likely to find morality in the Rick James Bible. Boo! Boo! And what I love about that joke is it's like, it's so reverse engineered. Like, the minute he says King James Bible, Mm -hmm. like, you know, nobody says King James Bible. Mm -hmm. So, you know, okay, the the punchline of this is going to hinge on the word James. I, you know, well, I don't know what you're talking about. There's a perfect symmetry, symmetry to this joke. Rick James and King James, same number of syllables. You know, math is poetry. Same number of syllables. They both contain the word James as the second word. So there's a further symmetry there. I think that maybe the joke just went over your head. Um, yeah. You know, something to think about. Yeah. Anyway, we'll be back next time. We haven't picked the movie yet, but it'll probably be better than this. And uh, we promise we'll be back. Well, we can't promise. But we're going to try to be back next week. Uh, and we're going to try to resume, you know, if not every week, every two weeks, kind of semi-regular schedule. And we hope you'll keep listening. Thanks uh, so much for joining us. I was Will Sloan. And I was Luke Savage. We'll see you next time. Grow up or die. <laughs> you can run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Go tell that long-tongued liar, go and tell that midnight rider, tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter, tell him that God's gonna cut him down, tell him that God's gonna cut him down. Well, my goodness gracious, let me tell you the news, my head's been wet with the midnight dew. I've been down on bended knee Talking to the man from Galilee He spoke to me with a voice so sweet I thought I heard the shuffle of angels sweet He called my name and my heart stood still When he said, John, go do my will Go tell that long-tongued liar Go and tell that midnight rider Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter Tell him that God's gonna cut him down Tell him that God's gonna cut him down You can run on for a long time Run on for a long time Run on for a long time Sooner or later gotta cut you down Sooner or later gotta cut you down Well you may throw your rock, hide your hand Working in the dark against your fellow man But as sure as God made black and white What's done in the dark will be brought to the light You can run on for a long time Run on for a long time Run on for a long time Sooner or later gotta cut you down Sooner or later gotta cut you down Go tell that long-tongued liar 
Go and tell that midnight rider Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter Tell him that God's gonna cut you down Tell him that God's gonna cut you down Tell him that God's gonna cut you down <laughs>